You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I don't care who people are picking. I, I don't. There's a lot of really good teams in our league, a lot of teams that beat us last year that we didn't beat. I know we're better. We're better than we were a year ago, but we still have to go out and earn anything. Uh, picks are picks, guesses are guesses. Uh, 90% of the time you guys are wrong when you guess things. We're excited. Um, I, I think uh, there's going to be some confidence that comes along with that. I don't think we have the type of team that's going to get distracted by that. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. We're post-Big Ten Media Days in Chicago, guys. As That was head coach Scott Frost. And what if I told you, Back on Black Friday week, going, you know, after Nebraska lost to Iowa and finished their second consecutive four and eight season. And by the way, I guarantee you that Nebraska will be the unanimous favorites to win the Big Ten West next year. Would you have thought I was full of crap or would you like, you know what, I could see that happening? Well, that's where things are at right now. Yeah, I would have figured you were sipping a little too much Kool Aid at that point. But that said, Scott Frost himself. You know, when he took over, pointed to 2019 as a year where there could be a significant jump. And a lot of that had to do with the schedule. And then you based, you know, kind of follow that up with uh, the steady progression of Adrian Martinez and just kind of the offense as a whole. Uh, you know, and you would just assume the, the progression that the team top to bottom will make from year one to year two. Uh, there's reason to, to, to believe it. But I think that uh, the, the level of national hype, I mean, nationally within the conference, whatever, has been far beyond, I think, what most people locally would have assumed. You know, I think they probably just assumed Nebraska was kind of kind of fly under the radar a little bit, be a dark horse team. Eight and four-ish type team, yeah, kind of a— People a, are picking them as a dark a, horse to win the like Big a bo- Ten. Like a bogey golfer, eight and four-ish type year exactly. where you're like, you know, they'll be good but not great yet. Yeah, they'll, they'll flip the record and go to a nice bowl game, and then you can build on that. But now, like you said, they're the unanimous favorites within the, within the conference media to represent the West in the Big Ten Championship. And some people are picking them to win it. And, I mean— <laughs> I guess there's a lot of questions within the conference, but you know Nebraska is still uh, a very much in flux team right now, and they still have a lot of questions they need to address before. I think people that really analyze kind of beyond the quarterback, beyond Scott Frost, um, you know, they, they got some holes to fill, and we have are a long way from getting answers to some pretty major questions that are going to define what this season actually is. Yeah, I think the the national hype. It, it, I mean, obviously, it's coming because of Adrian Martinez, right? It's, and Frost. Yeah, and Frost. And, Frost. <clears throat> and knowing, knowing Frost's track record, and, and especially when he's got a quarterback with the cali- you know, at the caliber of, of Adrian Martinez. Um, but I mean, there are a, a ton of questions. And so I, I think that national hype is maybe, maybe skewing uh, you know, or, or blowing over some of these questions that, that really do need to be answered. And there's some big – big questions, major questions uh, that need to be answered on both sides of the football. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have called you crazy if you had said that to me, uh, that the big privately, Ten, yeah, <laughs> that, that the big 10 media would, would, would call Nebraska unanimous favorite, but I would have called you crazy. I, I think if, if you told me that national media and, and all the, the publications are coming out and, 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 you know, picking Nebraska, I, I just, at that point in time, I don't know if I would have believed the national media would be on as much on the bandwagon as they are right now. And when they do that Cleveland Plain Dealer poll, it's pretty balanced East-West voters as far as that goes. And I almost got the sense Nebraska won a lot of voters from the East with the way they played Ohio State, with right. the way they beat Michigan, obviously with the way they played Iowa. Because, Michigan State. Or Michigan State. Uh, you, you get the sense 
the Iowa, Wisconsin media and fans are a little rustled by it. Like they're just like, "What? This is not supposed to be happening as yeah. quick." And blah, blah, blah. I mean, I mean, you just <laughs> get the sense that they're just mad about it. Like that, you know? Oh, Nebraska's been in this league for nine years now, and this is what they've supposed to been doing every year. But this is the first time since 2011 Nebraska's been picked to win a division. 2011 Nebraska was coming off a year where they were 10-2 and two going into the Big 12 title game, favored to beat Oklahoma. They lost. Then they tanked the dang bowl game against mm-hmm. um, Washington, which would have been their first 11-win season since 2001 if they would have won that bowl game. But, yeah, Nebraska right now hasn't been in this position in a long, long time where a legitimate, unbiased group of conference media members picked them to win a division. Well, and you look at it from the Wisconsin-Iowa perspective, since Nebraska joined the Big Ten, uh, by and large, those teams have done nothing but whip Nebraska. No doubt. And so, I mean, they look at it as this is a team that's won eight games in two years. We smoked them uh, the last time we played them, including when Scott Frost was on the sideline. What have they done to earn this? I mean, it's, it's basically like, – I think they're looking at it – this is all just based on assumption. They're assuming year two is going to be better with Scott Frost's offense. They're assuming Adrian Martinez is going to elevate himself into that, that next tier as one of the best quarterbacks in all college football. And so, you know, they're looking at it from, you know, more of a, uh, a, a personal uh, perspective, whereas I think a lot of the national, even East Division media are looking at kind of the big picture as in, you know, there's a lot of reasons to believe that those assumptions will come true. And I guess maybe that's part of me, the bitter rivalry aspect of it with some of those West Division teams that they're, they're going to wait to see it before they can truly buy into that. I think maybe one of the more underrated aspects of all this is, is the local media. Because <clears throat> we've been, I think, in this situation Burned. before. Yeah, where, where we kind of maybe talk ourselves into, hey, you know what, this, this could be a really good team. Hey, Nebraska's got their quarterback, yeah. Tanner Lee's ready to roll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Tommy I mean, Armstrong back for a fourth year. Fourth year starter. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, been in this, we've been in this situation before. where We I got think, the T-shirt and the bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, where you've, you've kind of allowed yourself to drink the Kool-Aid or, or to talk yourself into thinking, you know what, with, with, if X, Y, and Z happens, this could be pretty good, you know, pretty good team or whatever. And and now I think after you, you know we've been burnt a handful of times doing that, um, you know you, you, maybe you you have some tempered expectations and, and maybe that's why um, our perspective is is a little bit different than than some national or, or even some some of the other uh, Big Ten medias are. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we give uh, early takes from Chicago Big Ten Media Days and really. It was somewhat uneventful from a Nebraska standpoint. I, I thought the favorite thing was um, the biggest thing that came out of there, Martinez getting on the national stage. Um, but the defensive line talk, Robin, you wrote a good article about the the Band of Brothers article you put together after media days. Um, that's a very confident group after hearing Khalil Davis talk about what he saw and Scott Frost discussing the gains. Did he say – Seven, eight guys putting like 800 pounds, 800 pounds. on the squat and rack I think bar. nearly all of them were D linemen. So, I mean, Which I saw you doing that at Prairie Life on your last set. Yeah, I mean, I warm up with that. That's fine. That's a no spotter set, right? Oh, yeah, no spotter. No no, uh, no back pad either. <laughs> or belt. Or belt. <laughs> no belt. You ever been to a gym where like a guy with no spotters like fell or dropped the bar? I mean, yes. it's a complete. Where they don't, where they don't wear or uh, put uh, the clamps on and then the weights, they, they tip to one side then they tip to the other <laughs> <Yeah>. side. <laughs> all the weights fall off. I've seen that before. Yeah, That's you don't good. do that with eight plus. No. So, okay. Uh, That that was an example of, you know, just a tangible evidence of the the gains this this unit has made. But I think 
the reason why there's so much excitement beyond that group goes kind of beyond the stuff that you can actually see. And it's because of that cohesiveness. I mean, this is a group that has gelled together as much, maybe more so than any position group on the roster, which is crazy to think because they're the one that had the most transition this offseason, the new position coach. Mike Dawson leaving and Tony Toyote uh, taking over. Uh, but it's a veteran group that's played a lot of football together. And then you add to the equation one of the most important pieces, in a lot of our opinions, to the defense in Darian Daniels. And his impact in just a short couple of months has been significant. I mean, his leadership and his voice in the locker room uh, have been, you know, remarkable. Where teammates and coaches and Scott Frost down down the line have all commented on the impact that he's made. And so you pair him with the Davis twins and his brother uh, Damian and then Ben Stilley and you know you just go down the list. Um, they've got a lot of talent and a lot of experience and a lot of guys that are really gelling together. And so you know I think a lot of the excitement is because of the cohesiveness and the, just the the, the veteran uh, leadership that's going on in that group. So. We'll see how it translates, but there's there's reason to buy into that. I think absolutely. Five, I mean, five seniors in that group, but um, I think you you mentioned the Darian Daniels aspect, and just I mean, there's got to be, and I know this. I mean, this is kind of the the uh, you know interesting thing to write about or talk about is the the brother aspect of of the twins, the Davis twins, and and the Daniels brothers. But I mean, there's got to be something to that, right? I mean, the the com, you know the camaraderie and and the uh, just the the overall relationship that you've got with with somebody like that. I mean, uh, to to have your defensive line kind of be comprised of of those types of unique relationships is is pretty interesting. All right, when we come back, we're going to discuss more from Big Ten Media Days, including this big fake news topic of division realignment that somehow brewed from a few media guys and took on a life of its own. We'll give our thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Right now, what do I see? I, I see excitement. I think these guys are more confident than ever they've ever been, and largely because of, of the changes that they've made, too. Uh, I walked into the weight room the other day and watched the D-line lift with Carlos and Khalil and those guys, and I think there were six or seven guys that did uh, two reps of over 800 pounds on the squat. And that's not something they could have come close to a few years ago. So with this work, uh, with the investment that they made, I think confidence comes with that. Um, and I think these guys are just as hungry as Nebraska fans to, to move the needle and do something special. And we're back here on the Husker Alliance Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus here. And as we get ready to start this 2019 season, I want to take this opportunity to remind you, if you are interested and you are a fan of the Husker Online Show uh, we've got some sponsorship opportunities available. Our show is picked up statewide on multiple affiliates, including Omaha, Lincoln, Kearney, Grand Island, Hastings, and Fremont, um, as well as obviously all the downloads and listens we get online. So a uh, great opportunity to get involved here on the Husker Online show to have your business promoted and featured here uh, by the crew. If you're interested, email me at Sean, S-E-A-N, at Husker Online. Dot com uh, to take advantage of one of these opportunities. But, guys, I wanted to get on this point of division realignment. It, it kind of was one of the more random things that came out of conference media days. Uh, you know, I, I was working on some stuff, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, why do people keep asking this? Like, where, where did this come from as uh, multiple people asked the head coaches about division realignment? Was this kind of like one of those things like, yeah, you know what? 
We've asked all about the transfer portal. Let's ask about this too and, and kind of make this a topic of discussion where I can tell you from multiple discussions I've had with other folks, folks, other athletic directors in the conference were kind of shaking their head like, where did this come from? It was really fake news at its finest. Well, and just the timing of it was so weird because if you ever looked going into a season when the West actually was carrying some weight, this would be it. I mean, I think top to bottom, you could make the case that the West is just as strong, if not stronger, than the Big Ten East. I mean, you look at, obviously, um, Ohio State and Michigan, but what else? I mean, I, I think you could make the case of six teams winning the, winning the West this year and make a strong case at that. And so for that to just suddenly pop up going into the conference media day just seemed weird. And, you know, I'll note that if you look at the people asking the majority of those questions, nearly all of them were covering East division teams. And so maybe this is something where like you said, Sean, they're just looking for something to talk about and like trying to make this case that, you know, maybe we need to change the division alignment uh, to help, help carry, you know, the, not let the East be so tough and make the path easier for the East teams. But then PJ Fleck kind of threw some gasoline on the fire of that when, you know, they were asked, I think the athletic interviewed him and he said, change is inevitable. And we know that. And so they think that the, he is basically sure that at some point they are going to realign the divisions. And so it seemed like just mass confusion about whoever you asked, either they had no idea, had no clue why this was even talked about. And others that said, yeah, this is probably going to happen uh, sooner than later. Yeah. It's really strange because I, I mean, I think you could argue that, the gap between the East and the West has probably never been smaller or from, you know, from one division to the next, it probably hasn't been smaller than what it is right now. And you, you look at the strides that the West has made here over the past couple of years with the additions of some good coaches like Scott Frost and, and Jeff Brom and, and Fleck, you know, you know, say what you want about Fleck. I mean, he's, he's got a good, he's carried his weight. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, you know, and, and the job that Fitzgerald and Ferentz keep doing, and obviously Paul Christ. I mean, there's a lot of great coaches, and and I think there's a lot of programs on the on the West that you could say are definitely on the rise, and they're getting better. Yeah, and so follow up. Fleck apparently in that same story said that that topic came up during the the Big Ten spring meetings, and so apparently this is something that isn't just coming up random in Chicago. This is something that has been talked about for you know a few months now. The schedules, though, have been put out for a number of years already. So I just, I don't know. I, I think the sample size is too small. And here's a couple things that I, I think why it won't happen. First of all, is this really just about Ohio State and Michigan? But why would you want to separate them? You play that game in the final week of the regular season. Let's just say they are your two best teams. Is it fair to everybody to have to play that game two weeks in a row? Mm -hmm. That would devalue the brand of what that game means to the conference. And then the other thing is fan travel. I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, you look at Nebraska right now, the way the West is set up, every game is from four to nine hours away from Lincoln. I mean, it's not Big 12, but it's it's manageable for a fan to get to every road game between four and nine hours from Lincoln. Where should Nebraska ever be in a division with Rutgers or Maryland or Penn State? I don't think so. I, I think you've got to look at fans and fan traveling and whatnot because that's what's great about college football is fans being able to travel to some of these road games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that just logistically, like that that's not probably what's being discussed right now. But, you know, I mean, we've talked about it, Sean. Like, I think if there, there are some instances where it might make sense, like say – 
move Michigan State to the west and Purdue to the east. Maybe that's the level of shakeup that we're talking about here, to give one of the better teams in the east division, put them in the west to maybe help balance things out a little bit. I, I mean, you can't put, like, yeah, I mean, Rutgers, Maryland, Penn State, they need to be in the same division. Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, even Wisconsin to an extent, they need to be in the same division just because of geographic reasons. And so I don't think you're going to see this massive overhaul where it's just complete at random uh, alignment. I think there's there's got to be thought put in behind it. And maybe a small tweak here or there is what P.J. Fleck is hinting at when he says that change. Well, is and that one does make sense because right now Purdue and Indiana have a protected crossover mm-hmm. They have to play every year. Well, if you move Purdue over to the east, you'd eliminate that. But then Michigan State would have to have a protective crossover with Michigan. And then that that would be the easy switch there. And then the overall value and brand. And and I don't know why, but Michigan State almost feels more like a West program because they're more Mm blue-collar, hard-nosed. And that's how the West is. Let's be real. I mean, it's not a flashy division from that sense. It's about kind of outworking you, outcoaching you. And Michigan State would fit right into the in the division. Now Purdue would probably not be very happy about the move. Yeah, I mean it's Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeff Brom though, he's making the same amount I of money know. Scott Frost I is know. making. I know. To, to me, I mean, there's so many like trophy games and everything. I mean, if you're going to really shake things up, you're going to lose some of those. I don't. I don't care. Uh, I mean, there's no way to to legitimately shake up all the divisions. Uh, I mean, you can make some minor tweaks here and there without mm-hmm. screwing things up, but. If you there's so many traditions and trophy games, I, I think that um, I don't think we'll ever see a huge, huge shakeup. Was wasn't Nebraska Penn State like initially a trophy game at the beginning, or like mm-hmm. they were gonna? I mean, they made that a protective. Yeah, crossover. they were, they were trying to make that an annual thing yeah. where that was going to be Nebraska's annual because they had history. Game. Nebraska had a good history with Penn State right. from the '80s, particularly when they had some back and forth games. Um, they had a couple games in the early 2000s as well. Uh, but, yeah, there was a little bit of history that kind of made that a natural one to be along with Iowa. Uh, but I always thought the old legends leaders, the fact Nebraska didn't play Wisconsin annually, was, was, terrible. was a huge mis- mishap yeah. by the conference. Yeah, and, you know, with the Big Ten, there's not a conference of any of the Power Five that loves tradition and its history more than the Big Ten. And so they can't disrupt Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Iowa, Iowa Minnesota. Minnesota, or Nebraska, Iowa. Uh, yeah, Michigan, Michigan State, any of those. I mean, like, there's... Illinois, are, Northwestern. They, those are, like, those rivalries are the foundation of the conference. And so that's why I say if there is change, I think it will be minimal. I mean, you can't... Like, we're just talking about all these reasons why you can't shake things up. There's geographic, there's historical, there's uh, just trans- fan transportation. There's, I mean, there's all these reasons why uh, a massive shakeup would just be terrible for the conference top to bottom so uh, i think you can find maybe one or two little tweaks whether it's a team or two swapping divisions but anything more than that i think would be a major mistake by well the and the west champion has been more than competitive the last few years in these conference title games and the regular season series isn't that lopsided i think people are looking at it from well it's always ohio state michigan you know carrying the division as far as the college football playoff or the bowl games or whatever but like in the head-to-head matchups, I don't think it's that lopsided. Well, and the West has single-handedly kept the East out of the national championship yeah, the last two exactly. years. Iowa and Purdue beating Ohio State. So, yeah, it's one of those things that it's it's good talking season stuff, but I don't know if we're even close to that point as a league. The only thing that is the X factor is the change in commissioner, and maybe the new dude is going to come in here and be like, well, I want to put my stamp exactly. on the Big Ten and do something crazy. Make a name for himself. Exactly. I mean, maybe no divisions. 
and then and then then you just have your two best teams go based on the college football yeah. playoff rankings. That's an old, but then how do you get all those other protected games in there? Yeah, I mean, I think that you could probably work around that fairly easily. Just like you have four protected games a school, yeah, per year, and yeah. for Nebraska, it'd be Iowa, Wisconsin. I don't think it'd be the worst thing. I mean that that would be the only way I could see it doing it is like eliminate divisions, and you earmark three or four games per school that are guaranteed protected games. Yeah, and so if you wanted, the only problem is, as going to your original point, is if. Ohio State, Michigan, you want to keep that game in the last game of the year, you're still running into the uh, same Rematch, scenario yeah, where you're back-to-back weeks or whoever it may be. Is that good for anybody? I mean, no, exactly. No. I mean, what if it's Nebraska-Iowa or whatever it may be? I mean, like that that's that's an issue. But, I mean, that's what the Big 12 does, right? Yeah, but so, th- they play Oklahoma-Texas early earlier. in October. So it's really, really hard. If you notice, the Big 12's final games of the season are typically not good games yeah. now. Because they 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 know they have that buffer. They kind of they want to have because the Pac-12 one year Nate had a rematch game where was it UCLA Stanford or something like that they they played each other the last week of the season. Yeah, back and then they played the championship game the next week. Yep, and that's just not interesting. I I don't care if it's Alabama Auburn or you know I mean. I don't care who it is, you know. It's just not interesting. No. You you lose so much. It devalues at, exactly. know, at least one of the games. It goes back to remember. Um, I could say remember. I wasn't even born yet, but 1978, <laughs> Nebraska. I think just beat Oklahoma, and you know they they were told that they were going to have to play, or they played Oklahoma, and, and they, they were told that they're going to have to play Oklahoma now in the Orange Bowl again, and. When Tom Osborne, Don Bryant wrote this in his book, when Osborne got the piece of paper that says he's playing Oklahoma again, he said it was like somebody reading him a death sentence because he knew that he wouldn't be able to beat Oklahoma twice in a row. Yep. And, you know, it's just not good for anybody to, to have those types of situations, especially back-to-back. It's, it's, it's a disservice to your conference. Well, right. And right now, I mean, when, when uh, eyeballs on, you know, on TV ratings and all that make so much – you know, money and, you know, there's so much of that involved. I mean, you're going to hurt your ratings if you keep doing that. So, All right, we're going to shift next segment, guys. We're going to talk some basketball. Um, Robin and Nate were both over at practice, got their first look at Freddie Hoiberg's new Huskers. We'll get their thoughts or Robin's thoughts next. You're listening here to the Oscar Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, I can pretty much promise you anybody that's at this stage of the game right now that's preparing for a trip or going through their their workouts uh, in their early stages walk away from the court a lot of times pissed off because you have too many turnovers and you're sloppy Uh, and you know again the thing that we're looking for is when we do close this thing after our 10th practice and get on the airplane uh, to go over to Italy we're a lot better and a lot further ahead than where we are now and and we have a lot of room uh, to grow you know but again that's that's everybody at this stage that's, uh, that's preparing for one of these trips. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we're going to talk some Nebraska basketball. You heard head coach Fred Hoiberg there is really first public media availability since being hired um, as the head coach. And they got 10 practices going on. Media got to watch an entire practice yesterday or uh, excuse me, on Tuesday um, to kind of see kind of how things look, Robin. And you said before you started the segment, there's a lot to talk about. Well, so mm-hmm. give me your biggest couple takeaways that you took out of just being in there, seeing these new guys, and getting your first taste of Fred Hoiberg basketball in Nebraska. I mean, that's what it really was about for me, was just actually getting to see 
all of these players and this new coaching staff work together as one team as opposed to watching you know individual highlights of every single player and basing it all off what they had done before in Nebraska. And so uh, one thing you always had to keep in mind while you're watching this is that was their, at that point, third official practice as a team. And so you know, it was rusty, you know, it looked like a team, like a bunch of guys that have never played basketball together, trying to become a unified team. And so, you know, when you think about it, that's what you should expect. And that's kind of what Fred was hinting to, um, in that open was, uh, this, this is a team that has a long way to go and there's talent there. There's no doubt about it. I think from top to bottom, from an individual talent standpoint, they're better than they were a year ago. Um, you know, that, that starting five last year was really good, but the drop off from, player six on down was significant. Whereas this team, I mean, you have eight to 10 players that I think could be, you know, solid contributors, if not, you know, marquee starters. And so, uh, the issue is though, that they, you know, are just still a bunch of individuals right now. And communication is probably the biggest issue they have right now. And that was one thing that, uh, you know, Fred's such a calm, cool, collected guy, uh, in, you know, every other aspect of his life. But when you see him on the practice court, he can get fiery, and there was a point where guys weren't talking and they weren't going 100% in a drill, and he laid into them. He showed some fire, dropped some f bombs, and you know really showed, uh, you know that this he's going to have a standard, and these guys need to live up to those standard very quickly. And so, uh, very much a work in progress, just with with this whole team as a whole. Um, and you know they're still missing some parts. Uh, Cam Mack, the heralded junior college point guard, uh, he's still not able to practice because they're waiting on him to get his. Uh, final grade from one last class from Salt Lake Community College and they should know within the next you know day or two but by, by the end of the week hopefully uh and I don't think there's very much concern about him getting that grade that he needs it's just a matter of getting it finalized getting the NCAA to sign off of it and you know going from there and then obviously uh Yvonne uh, Wade Rogo uh the the freshman from France he's still playing with the French national team and will be at the uh, FIBA uh, U18 championships in Greece. And so he'll miss the Italy trip. He'll miss all 10 practices leading up to that trip, which is unfortunate. But, uh, other than that, the rest of the team is here. Uh, and you know, they're every day, I think every practice, they're going to be a completely different looking team than what we saw uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. Robin, as you, as you look at it, was there a, a guy that you're like today already? I'm like, I know this guy is going to be yeah. the leading scorer. I mean, who, like if you were to kind of analyze who are your, who are your kind of leading and, and it's hard because we don't know what Max yeah. going to do but Max probably in the top two or three scores right now if, if you had to project right you would think yeah and again I've He's never score seen, I've never seen him play so I don't know but uh you know the one guy that immediately jumped out that I don't know if he's gonna be a leading scorer but he is going to be a critical piece of this team is Hanif Cheatham uh the grad transfer from Florida Gulf Coast by way of Marquette he was as consistent and efficient as any player um, during that one practice. Now, again, I'm going to preface everything. This is one practice. <laughs> it was their third practice. But in that one, he was really good. And you can see that he has already taken on a leadership role. He's a fifth-year senior that isn't here to mess around. He is here to work and make the most of this one season. He didn't come to Lincoln for the runs. Exactly. So he, he's, he's, he's got one-track mind. And having that, I think, is going to be so valuable for this team where you know, you've got a bunch of guys that are coming from all different paths to have someone like him who has played high major college basketball. You know, I mean, he, he was really good at Marquette. Uh, and, you know, shoulder injury derailed his season last year at Mar um, Florida Gulf Coast. But he's back healthy, and he's 
uh, determined, and he showed it. He, with, with every rep, he was going 100%, setting the tone. He was one of the two players picked by Fred Hoiberg to represent the team in the post-practice uh, press conference, along with uh, Deshaun Burke. And so I was really impressed with him. Uh, down the line, uh, Shamil Stevenson, uh, the kid who is still waiting on a potential waiver to make him so, uh, immediately eligible to start the season, they still feel confident about that waiver. It hasn't been submitted yet, but if he doesn't get it, he won't be eligible until the end of the first semester. But anyway, he, he's a guy that I really like. Um, and then one player who's not even going to play this year, who's a sit-out transfer, Delano Banton. He kind of stole the show a little bit just because you can see how good he could be in time. I mean, he is six foot eight, 200-some pounds, and he's pretty much nothing but arms and legs. And you, you watch him, he looks like he's not even trying hard. But during the wind sprints, you know, baseline to baseline, he's beaten everybody because he takes five yards a step. His legs are so long, and he's just naturally smooth. He's kind of got, you know, a little bit of that, that James Palmer to him where it looks effortless to him, and he's got inside-outside game. And one guy told me uh, within the program that if he continues to, you know, develop the way at the rate that he's on, he might not be in college very long. I mean, you're talking about a year or two to where he could have an opportunity to make an early jump just like Isaiah Roby did. And is it safe to say one of the sleepers is Charlie Easley? And, and I've been driving the Charlie Easley bus, you and, and, and you you debated me on that, but you, you finally got your first look at seeing him. And, I mean, is it safe to say he's one of the better walk-ons you can remember Nebraska's gotten? I mean, because usually walk-ons, you just the first day you're like, well, he's not going to ever be a factor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you got guys like Paul Volander and Drake Baranek, but they were kind of different situations where, uh, you know, they professor had, dad. Yeah, exactly. Baranek was like an all-American D two guy, that right? Came here. But you know, with with Charlie, you know, I mean, there were a lot of people that thought he was the best player in the state last year. I mean, he averaged twenty some played on a bad foot all year, on a bad foot. And so my question with him was physically. You know, I mean, that's a huge jump from, uh, you know, Nebraska high school basketball to the Big Ten. But so far, phys- I mean, physically, that's not the that's not the issue. He's benching almost 300 pounds, and he looks every bit the the you know the bulk of a Big Ten guard. And you watch him. I mean, he he wasn't flashy. He didn't do anything to steal the show, but he was consistent, and he was always giving max effort. And I mean, I, I cannot emphasize enough how far that will take you especially with a detail-oriented guy like Fred Hoiberg, where if you do the right things all the time and you execute at a high level all the time, the coach will trust you and you will play. And right now, I mean, I I don't think it's out of line to say that Charlie Easy, on that Tuesday practice, was one of the top eight players in the court. Which, I mean, that's as big of a shocker as as all because – you know, Fred Hoiberg at Iowa State didn't recruit one Iowa guy his whole time there. And for a walk-on Nebraska kid, <laughs> I don't know what that says. I mean, the guys he's brought in still are learning. But, I mean. Yeah, that, that's another issue. I mean, keep in mind that this team, again, it's it's practice three. And so. But it makes you wonder, like, UNO. And, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's some schools Dakota around schools. the area within the state that really missed the boat, not offering that kid a scholarship. And they're going to be kicking themselves for a long time because Charlie Easley is good. And like you said, you, you, you were the first, as far as I know, that was conducting that train. And I, I'm buying the hype now. And, again, I'm not trying to, like, hype him up as like he's going to be a starter. But I think that he has got – He'll well be an on arena favorite. He's well on his way to being a contributor for this team as a walk-on and potentially down the road could have a chance to earn a scholarship. He will – when he if he gets on the floor this year, he will be the arena favorite, no question. And here's asked. another thing to, to keep in mind, that outside of Cam Mack, they don't have a true point guard on the roster. And so Charlie might be more of a, a two or maybe played more of a, as a shooter – 
in high school, but uh, I think that he's got an opportunity there. I mean, that could be his route to seeing playing time because Gervais Green's not a true point guard. Deshaun Burke's not a true point guard. Uh, and so The eight-minute guy or six. Yeah, yeah. This eight, get, if foul trouble or injury happens like that, which it always does, there's going to be a window of opportunity. And if Charlie continues to bring it the way he has, I mean, he, he's going to have a shot. Well, we're going to have lots of basketball talk. Uh, they leave when, Robin? August 3rd. So that's coming next week. And Robin will be locked into training camp, but he's going to be probably more locked into Italy as uh, all those games will be televised. Well, on we don't know that yet. Stream that's the hope. There's a company in Italy where they're going to try and stream not only Sheamus. not only Nebraska, but uh, all there's a bunch of other colleges that are going out there to play games. And so that company is trying to figure out the logistics of being able to stream all these games. That sounds real promising. Right. The fact that they don't know it yet and we're like a couple weeks away. But but that's still the hope that this – I mean, that's going to be the only option. Like, Nebraska's not going to, like, have Seamus stand there with his Twitter live on Ben McLaughlin's going. He should run, run a camera. Know, Come on, Ben. So, we'll – We'll see. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we will be able to watch uh, them actually play some real teams. And about those games, don't put a lot of stock into them. They're going to use probably a different starting lineup for every game. They're going to have different substitution patterns for every game because all that's going to be about is experimenting with lineups and seeing what works and what doesn't. I said if Kent and Jake would have went out there and the network aired those games during the day, I think a lot of the affiliates would have aired the games. Sure. I mean, it's one of the biggest things going on right now. I mean, it would have been really interesting just to kind of follow the broadcast of those five games. And I know the network will have um, been out there, but I don't know if that means play-by-play or just reports. Yeah, for sure they're going to do full-on reports with interviews and all that stuff. And then obviously Seamus is going to do little write-ups with box scores. So if nothing else, we'll be able to at least get a glimpse of who does well and who doesn't. But again... Take all of that Italy trip with a grain of salt because it's going to be more about experimentation than actual evaluation. All right. When we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. Grace Harmon will join us in studio next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, if I'm being honest, I, I think the West hasn't been as good as it should be because I don't think Nebraska's been as good as it should be. Uh, we can do a lot through the work that we're doing to try to get our program where it belongs to help help the West be uh, competitive and, and just as dominant as any other league in, in the country. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and Husker Online intern Grace Harmon. Back from the Windy City, uh, first of all, we got to give Grace a lot of props. We had major travel issues with our flights uh, coming into Chicago, and Grace bailed us out. She was in town early and was able to get a lot of the work done. So when Robin and I and Greg got to town, um, we could just pick things up right after she got done with everything. So we got we owe you a big one, Grace, so thank you. <laughs> no problem. My pleasure. Well, what do you got this week? What's in the mailbag? All right, so let's start with kind of an in-general question first. Um is Nebraska talented enough specifically on the offensive line to win the Big Ten? You know, it, it, it's hard to say because there's so many unknowns. And I, I think you fear the overall depth of Nebraska is still maybe a year away. Um, and that that's how I, I mean, when I look at that line, everybody's back the next year. And then the young guys that are in the program are going to grow and grow and develop. Um, so, yeah, I think that if you try to be critical of Nebraska's offense right now, they have maybe the best quarterback in the conference. They have some pretty good receivers and running backs and, you know, good tight ends. But when you start to rank offensive lines, 
you know, they're probably in the middle of the pack to maybe the bottom third when you kind of break it down on paper today right now. Yeah, I would say because of the questions still remaining on the offensive line, I cannot put Nebraska in the conversation to win the Big Ten. Now, maybe you can make the debate that they have enough around that line to push for the West, which, especially given the schedule, I think is reasonable. But right now, I mean, I, I just – don't trust that line enough right now. I mean, they don't have a starting center at this point, and you have questions at left guard. Uh, and so, I mean, there's still so many um, unanswered issues that need to be addressed over the course of fall camp, even going into game one, before you truly have an idea of what that line's going to look like and then, uh, you know, how good it's going to be and if it's capable of carrying Nebraska to the point where it wants to get. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that. I mean, it's just too hard to, to say that um, with as many questions as there are right now. And, and you know, overall, just the lack of experience. Um, you know, I, I think that you don't have a center. You've got – you're talking about, a you know, a, a potential walk-on being your, your starting left guard as, uh, you know, Hickson. Uh, not to take anything away from him. I, I think he's a really good player. But – I think there's just a lot of questions, and, and I would feel much more confident kind of answering that question uh, at this time next year when you're talking about you know, a lot of those guys coming back. All right. If you could ask one question about the 2019 season and have it answered with 100% certainty, what would it be? I think mainly, will Nebraska win the West? I mean, they've, they've been picked in four out of the five pre publications. So for me right now, that's the biggest question, and, and this will be the ninth year Nebraska's been in the Big Ten. They've only played in one Big Ten title game in those previous eight seasons. So if somehow they were able to deliver that kind of a year, that would be a humongous step for this program's future. Mm -hmm. And I guess along with that, is Adrian Martinez as good as advertised? I mean, no player has been as hyped going into a season as he has in a long time. I mean, it's been a while since – uh, the level of national hype Adrian Martinez is getting that we've seen around this program. And so is is he the real deal? I mean, obviously, he showed plenty of flashes to generate that sort of excitement. Uh, but now the pressure's on. I mean, he's a known commodity. And uh, talking about the issues on the offensive line and the inexperience at running back, I mean, he is – there's so much riding on his shoulders that I think ultimately Nebraska's success will, uh, you know, thrive or fail with Adrian Martinez. And he is going to be the one that carries this team more than anyone on the roster. Yeah, if I could go into the future and, and you know – get the answer for a question, it would probably be what the win total is going to be and, and place a little wager right now. <laughs> so that, that, that's my that's my take on that question. Always looking out for number one. Yeah. All right, what do you got next? All right, well, with the recent uh, marijuana usage on the team, what do you foresee Scott Frost doing about that? It's an issue. There's no question, but I think this is going on at more places than just Nebraska. And I address this in the Red Sea Scrolls chat this week. What's different about Nebraska is you actually have in the newspaper newsrooms, particularly, they go through the police records every day to look for this and find it. I think there's a lot more that's going on that just doesn't make the papers of other programs. Nebraska is not just some, oh my gosh, they've got a major marijuana. Yeah. The, 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 when you have 150 people on a team. From all over the country. If, yeah. you, if you just took 150 people in life, you're going to have some things like this that are going to happen. It's not what you want to see happen. There's no doubt about it. But I think it's a very slow time of year. We've got way too many people that cover this football team. And those stories drive lots of traffic, drive lots of numbers. 
So you're seeing them in Madison, Wisconsin, though, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, necessarily, or do you? I mean, some of these other markets. I don't know if the media really digs through the police arrest every day to try to find these types of things. Well, news outlets have people scanning the police blotter that know who the true freshman defensive back is. They bring or, it over to the beat writers. Yeah, exactly. And they exactly. have the beat writers go over and look at it every day. Exactly. So you know, I think that's again speaking to your point. The coverage of Nebraska athletics is on a different level than most anywhere else in the country. But also to that, I mean, you got kids coming here that live in parts of the country where marijuana is not a big deal. It's, cult- it's, it's, it's culturally either, accepted. It's either legal or it's just kind of people look the other way. And so they're used to being able to do it without really any repercussions. And now they come to a state and a university where it is a big deal. I mean, Nebraska is probably going to be the last state in the union to do any sort of progressive uh, law changes on on the issue of marijuana. And um, they got a bunch of campus police officers that are looking for nothing more to do than bust some football players uh, for whatever it may be, especially if they and, can, and doing get, it in the dorms. Again, that's what it comes down to is just be, don't be an idiot. Be, yeah, be smart. I mean, do what you got to do, whatever, you know, but don't do it in your dorm room. Don't do it on campus where, like, you just make yourself a walking target. And I think that's probably the bigger issue is at some point you got to wise up. I mean, Nate, we had a rental car in Atlanta that somebody before us smoked marijuana oh, in the yeah. car, and it was unbelievable how bad the odor was in the car. And imagine doing that in a brand new shiny dorm room. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just not thinking. Yeah, you're, you're going to get caught. Um, but, the, I mean, the, the interesting part of all this is, yes, it's illegal. It's against NCAA rules. It's against Nebraska's rules, university rules, whatever. But at the same time, you know, with Miles Farmer, I mean, it was just a citation. It, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's like a speeding ticket. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that that's the weird part about all this is that it's illegal. It's against the rules. But at the same time, it's not like – it's not like we they're traffic, trafficking right. drugs or it's anything. It's not like, like they have that Colombian connection exactly. in the Coke exactly. market or anything like that. They're so, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just. But I don't know, because the strange. way the media covers it here, right. I mean, it's like and you put marijuana and Husker football player in the same headline. Yeah. Click City, baby. One of the local Lincoln stations, I mean, they did their little tease on a commercial break, and they're like another Husker football player arrested for drugs. It's you an know. epidemic. <laughs> but. All right, we're old and get off our lawns. We got time. Two more. What's your next one, Grace? All right. Is there any game you think could jump up and bite Nebraska this season? If so, what is it? Gosh. Well, Colorado early. I mean, that's one I think everyone expects them to win, but if they lose that game early. That's the tone setter game right there. They win that, all of a sudden all bets they're are off, off and running. They lose, and God forbid they you know look bad in the process. That kind of changes your perception a little bit. And the next one that immediately Minnesota. comes to mind, Minnesota. I mean, that is, that's that's got trap game written all over because Minnesota isn't one of those sexy teams. It's on the road, and they're a formidable team that has a lot of weapons, and they're starting to get rolling a little bit under P.J. Fleck, just like Scott Frost and Nebraska are. So, I mean, if, if for whatever reason – Nebraska decides to somehow overlook that game. Uh, that one could bite him for sure. Yeah, I was going to say Minnesota or even the Purdue, mm-hmm. which is on the road, um, you know, a week before the Wisconsin game. And so I, I think, I mean, I could see either one of those two games kind of being, um, and I don't know if trap game is, is the right word or, or phrase there, but I, I could see either one of those games kind of maybe sneaking up and, and getting Nebraska. Final question, Grace Harmon, what do you have? All right. Have you guys seen any of the Disney remakes recently? And uh, what did you like? Yeah, we for the record, we all have young girls <laughs> ages two to six. So 
a lot of Disney going on in all of our houses. Um, I have seen Dumbo um, and the new Dumbo and was quite impressed, actually. I watched it with my daughter and uh, we really liked it. Uh, I have not. My wife saw the Aladdin, so I can't say I've seen the Aladdin. Um, what do you think? I think she liked it. I mean, I get it. Some of those cartoons, I mean, you hate to say it. They're out of date for like mm-hmm. the technology our kids are used to getting now. Um, so I get that these remakes are pretty, pretty. I mean, Disney quality movies. That's my thing, though. Like, there's sentimental value with you know watching the cartoon versions of all those. Like with the Lion King, that's a cartoon, and now they made it like a CGI actual like animals walking around. That's weird to me, and so I think I'm just naturally going to dislike it. I haven't seen any of them, but I already know that I won't like it. And especially, like, we were talking about this off air uh, with Aladdin. Like Aladdin was good because of Robin Williams, and all credit to Will Smith. He's great, one of the all-time greats. He's not Robin Williams, and he cannot portray the genie the same way Robin Williams did, and therefore it will not be as good as the original. I don't care. I, I don't even need to see it to know that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anyone could do a better job being the genie than than Robin Williams did. I haven't seen any of them either. I mean, I probably will see the Lion King. Um, you know, I I saw like a you know the trailer or whatever for Dumbo and thinking uh, that that might be all right, but. Um, yeah, I I'm sure it's just a matter of time until I see them, but I'm not going to be I'm not holding my breath thinking that they're going to be automatically better than than the originals were. Secret Life of Pets uh, two was a good one. We saw that this summer with the kids. I mean, I know that's not a remake, but it's a, mm-hmm. a sequel. Uh, but yeah, we <laughs> I find myself watching a lot of kids oh, yeah. movies. Toy right? Story four, mm-hmm. I, I saw that one. My car's loaded. We have a D- DVD player, and it's just loaded full of kids DVDs right now. So it's <laughs> yep. Life. All right, Grace. <laughs> well, that wraps it up. Thank you, and uh, it's glad that we're glad that you're back and, and you're moving this week. Yep. You got a big life week with you going into your final semester of college, so we're, we're glad to have you back. Glad to be back. It's been a big year for Grace. It has been. <laughs> All right. When we come back, uh, we'll close the show with some recruiting talk with Nate Klaus. It's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. From a locker room standpoint, we're in a, some of our players are in a, a secondary locker room right now. Team meetings, we have guys sitting on the stairs. Training room, we have to shuffle them in and out. Weight room, even, you know, we're wearing, running Zach into the ground a little bit because he's, he's running four different lifting groups all day. So he's there all day working with four different groups because we can fit about 40 at a time uh, in the weight room to do what we want them to do. Uh, so we're managing it. And, and like I said, it works fine. We can get it done where we are. But I understand why you know, there appears to be a little bit of conversation about uh, whether or not we need to, to step it up to compete with the people that we're trying to recruit against and play against. And final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan. Nate Klaus as we talk some recruiting Nate and it was interesting because that was really the first time we have heard Scott Frost discuss Nebraska's facilities at length and um, just kind of put it in perspective where things are at and you and I and really all of us at Husker Online led by some great articles by Steve Rosen um, over the last few months have kind of laid out this is how Nebraska's facilities currently look right now this is the rest of the Big Ten and it's pretty eye-opening, and, and that was the first time we've heard Scott Frost come out and say that. And when I, when I heard that I, to myself, I'm like, well, if he knows something's not coming, I don't think you'd come out and say it like this because this would hurt you in recruiting. If nothing's coming for five, six years later, 
it's probably not a good thing to, to trash your facilities yeah. because the guys you're going to be recruiting are going to be coming to your program in the next four to five, you know, and playing there those years. Um, so something is definitely happening right now. And I, I think he's kind of laying some blocks in place. Bill Moose said what he said and, and really Bill Moose in his role, he can't go off and just say what he wants. Um, he's got to be kind of, you could tell they were kind of towing the, the company line a little bit there. But, yeah, this will be interesting to see because we know they visited Clemson. It's my understanding they visited the Dallas Cowboys. I think Matt Davison's got an involvement in this. I think Bob Burton's got an involvement in this. But there is a process that when you are at a state institution, when you're talking about maybe around $70 million, which is the number we've heard, you can't just drop that into a conversation. And, by the way, this big project's coming down the works. I mean, there, there, there's a real chain of command it has to go up before you get to that point. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean – just think back to to Nebraska's facility, um, you know, when it was completed. What was it, 2006, when uh, when they moved over into the North Stadium? Uh, I mean, that was a that was a deal where the planning on that project, not not just the construction, but the planning on that, you know, was I think in the works for for a long time uh, before it eventually became public and they they broke ground on it, so on and so forth. So. I mean, this is yeah. You're right. I mean, it's a big it's a big project, and there are there are a lot of steps that have to to kind of happen uh, before it's released, but or before it it, it eventually kind of gets uh, really going. But um, you're right. I think there there's obviously something that's going to happen. Um, there's way too much smoke for for there not to be anything, and you could kind of tell by the way that Bill Moose answered the question, by the way that Frost answered it. You know, I, I think they they are kind of setting it up for for something that's eventually going to come down. Now, when you know, I, I think that's that's the bigger question. When is it going to happen? When is something going to be formally announced? I think the sooner the better. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of momentum around the program right now, especially if the team kind of takes the step that a lot of people think they're going to take this year. And uh, and Frost mentioned on the recruiting front, you know, you have to keep up, you have to keep pace with the with the teams that you're recruiting against or that you want to be recruiting against. Um, you know, you have to keep pace with those guys because when a kid, you know, I'm not saying that Nebraska's facilities are losing them recruits, but they're certainly, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're gaining them recruits either, or that that recruits leave here and say, well, those are the best facilities I've seen in the country. Um, you know, and, and if you're Nebraska, you're you know, a blue blood program, top six all time in wins and three Heisman Trophy winners and so on and so forth. I mean, I think you need to be towards the upper end of, of facilities and everything else if, if that's what you what you think you are. You're listening to the Husker Online show as we discuss the recruiting and the facilities with Nate Klaus, Nada. When I saw those LSU videos come out this week at yeah. their new facilities, I mean, it was just like, let's get the Nebraska fans even more fired up with those. But I, I, I kind of chuckled. I mean, those new pod chair things they're really nice but what i envision are just a bunch of gross 300 pound guys all sweaty laying down on those and, yeah. and i mean it, it didn't seem very practical to have like those things right in the locker room like that knowing how gross and sweaty athletes get when they come in from workouts and practice yeah you know i'd, I'd like to I'd like to kind of know or be a fly on the wall and see exactly how much those get utilized. Were those next to the lockers or in the separate? Were they like it's, in a separate? It like is their locker. So that's what I'm saying. Like when you come off from a Louisiana August practice in a September practice, yep. it's hotter than hell. Yeah. 
and you're going to tell me when you get done, you want to you want these guys laying down on these Ferrari leather. Um, they're probably not Ferrari leather like organs, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like that that doesn't seem like very practical. Yeah, I don't know how practical it is. And I will say that, and and this was maybe more the case when there were true like two a day practices. You know, like during fall camp, like. When you had a break, you didn't leave the facility. You you found a place somewhere, whether it was in the corner of the locker room where it was dark, or if it was up in the players' lounge, or or wherever. You know, in the GA office, that was always a popular place for a lot of the players to grab a quick nap, a you know half hour nap or whatever to kind of you know get through fall camp. Um, and and so and that that's the case still. I mean, there are times where you know if you have a class after lunch or. Or what you know, if you you've got uh, training, uh, you, you got a physical therapy session or something, um, you know, in between a class or, or whatever, and you you have half an hour to kill, you know, you might try and find a place to take a nap. And so I, I can see where they're coming from, but yeah, I don't, I just don't know exactly how feasible uh, or, or practical those those little pods are. Did you ever watch the Hard Knocks with J.J. Watt? Like he, um, when the Houston Texans did it, he would buy like a king mattress just for training camp, and he would put it in the equipment shed. It was air conditioned and whatnot. And then during the breaks, he'd just go lay in the equipment shed on his king mattress. And my guess is, he'd just give it to one of the equipment guys and he goes, "Have a new king bed after yeah. training camp was over," because it's it's pretty big hassle to haul a mattress after you get it delivered and get it in and out of your house. Yeah, it's probably after after training camp, you probably wasn't. That wasn't a or maybe he just gave it to a homeless shelter. Or or yeah, something. maybe he donated. I don't know. Even then, a homeless shelter doesn't have much room for a king, king mattress. But uh, anyway, Nate, the recruiting dead period comes to an end this weekend, um, which means prospects, can they go back on officials? Or so just no official visits, but it's unofficial. You can have face-to-face contact with uh, with coaches now, or, or coaches can have face-to-face contact with prospects. They can be back on your campus. You know, and, and I think the the, the word dead period uh, is, is kind of confusing or, or maybe kind of confusing to a lot of fans. They, they may think that during a dead period, there's absolutely no contact that's taking place. There's still been a lot of recruiting that's been happening behind the scenes during this dead period that, that started at the end of June and, and kind of carries you through the end of, of July. Um, and that takes place in the form of, you know, text messages or direct messages, uh, prospects can call coaches and, and things like that so there's a lot of communication that's still happening but none of it's face to face and now with the dead period coming to an end there's a, a one week window where recruits can can be on campus and, and can take visits or uh, even there's some even, even some schools out there that are having camps I know Florida State I think is having a Saturday night lights camp Nebraska towed around that idea yeah. but it just I, it just wasn't in the cards I mean I don't know how well it would go over here yeah I'm not sure you know especially I think that's something that that probably makes more sense if you're in a region where there's a lot more talent or they could get there, you know, real quick. Or if you're like a group of five program that couldn't get guys to your school and those types of kids maybe didn't get the offers they wanted. And it's kind of like a bounce back period for those guys to go to a camp. Kind of like a last chance camp. Colorado State used to always have theirs later. I remember schools like that just because 
they know they can't compete with the, the power five. So maybe you say, let's get them at our, on our campus for a late camp and maybe we'll, we'll get a guy or two that we wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes some sense in that regard, but um, yeah. So I think we could hear, you know, about a handful of kids that are going to be making their way to Lincoln uh, to take an unofficial visit here during that week of, uh, you know, when the dead period ends, one of those guys or maybe the biggest name to keep an eye on would be Caden Johnson, the outside linebacker out of Minnesota, four-star prospect. He's, I think he's ranked the number 133rd prospect in the country, something like that. 6'4", 230 pounds, kind of the ideal outside linebacker that Nebraska has been trying to, to target and recruit. And, um, you know, anytime you get the top player from a state like Minnesota on your campus uh, for a second time, because he visited once in the spring, I think is a, is a good deal. Uh, and right now it seems like it's kind of down to Nebraska, Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, in, in Nebraska is very much in the picture. He's only been, like I said, only visited once, was on campus for like five hours during a practice. He came with a huge group of, of uh, you know, some teammates, some seven-on-seven teammates of his. And so uh, if he makes it to, to campus, I, I think that's a, a good sign for Nebraska because he does plan on taking an official visit in the fall too. So now you're talking about having a kid on, on campus three different times. Well, that wraps it up here. Uh, plenty to watch. We are a week away from the start of fall camp in this highly anticipated 2019 season. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 